Welcome to the Finance and Investments Student Association's FISA Fireside Chats with Matthew and Oliver. Welcome back, everyone, to the FISA Fireside Chat with Matthew and Oliver. We're super happy today to have Denis Miron as a guest, the head trader at uh, BCI in uh, British Columbia. We we both had the chance, Matthew and I, to intern there this summer. I personally had the chance to to sit with uh, with Denis and learned a ton, so we wanted him to come on the podcast and discuss a, bit, discuss a bit about his career and his experience. So welcome to the podcast, Denis. Thank you so much, uh, gentlemen, for having me on. It's, it's a pleasure to be here for sure. Awesome. So let's start with a classic question. We do this with every guest. So why don't you start by talking a bit about your career path? How did you end up at BCI and what you're currently what your current job uh, entails? Yeah, so um, it, it wasn't exactly the most linear types of paths uh, coming out of Concordia once I graduated. Um, I initially started my my career um, at Investors Group uh, in mutual fund sales. So um, really kind of, you know, got opened my eyes to a, a certain part of the business, which I really didn't realize existed, which was kind of the, the whole sales side. Uh, of the the world of finance and mutual funds uh, and and realized quite quickly that that aspect was not for me uh, from cold calling people from nine to nine in the morning, which I don't think legally you're allowed to do anymore, uh, you know, to uh, uh, working all weekends, sitting in malls, trying to get people to, to hand over their retirement and let it be managed by, you know, a 20 something year old kid. So, uh, really eye-opening to start out the gate when I started Investors Group. Obviously, I didn't stay there very long um, just because of the nature of it being a, a full commission type of business. So if you didn't uh, get in the AUM under your belt, um, you weren't going to get a salary. So um, following that eye-opening experience, I moved on to a Standard Life uh, Investments, a Standard Life sorry, group, uh, where I worked on the group savings and retirement side, where we were giving... Uh, kind of advice in terms of asset allocations and funds that they should be invested in all the pensioners who would invest in standard life mutual funds. So kind of like a, a derivative of what the first job was, uh, except there was more kind of consulting with an existing client base that was already there versus trying to go and get business. Right. Uh, and through that, I got, I gained some interest in the actual funds. And so standard life investments was the investment arm of standard life Canada. Uh, and so um, I finally made my way into um, that universe, having grabbed a job as a desk analyst on the trading desk. Um, this was probably life changing for me in terms of being able to get that job. It was very rare that they hired um, in that group to begin with. Uh, the whole team itself was not a very large team to begin with. I think there was something like 30 investment professionals that worked within Standard Life Investments at the time that I joined. So. Um, I had uh, the luxury of working on a desk with um, probably one of the, the the best mentors I've ever had in my life, Robert Roy, um, who ran the trading desk there and had previously worked at uh, Canaccord Genuity and UBS on the sell side and had moved over to the buy side to be to run the desk at Standard Life um, for Standard Life Canada, Standard Life Investments Canada. So uh, I started my career as a desk analyst there uh, and then worked my way up. Uh, after a year and a bit to actually start trading. Uh, and we were predominantly trading only physical equities uh, and predominantly in uh, North American markets. So US and Canada was the main focus in terms of what we'd be trading. Uh, and so I, I ramped up uh, pretty quickly there. Uh, and, and I would say uh, 
gained a lot of exposure uh, through a lot of different markets because Standard Life uh, is a UK company. So um, had, had, had offices in Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, and they had a very large Boston office as well, uh, where a lot of the US assets were run out of. Uh, and so as I uh, increased my position uh, on the desk and took on more and more, um, I was actually brought on to go and trade in Boston for you know a couple of weeks during the year. Uh, and even made my way over to Edinburgh, Scotland for, you know, three, four weeks of the year uh, trading Euro stocks over there, which was which was pretty cool experience that the company would invest in its people and, and have, you know, give me that exposure to the different trading desks and how they operated. So uh, I spent uh, about 11, 11 or 12 years there um, until Standard Life was bought out by uh, Manulife uh, Asset Management. And so um, that was also a, a very uh, critical point or a turning point in, in my career, I would say, only because I had moved up pretty significantly Significantly at Standard Life, had become a senior trader on the desk, pretty much ran uh, the Montreal uh, trading desk uh, on behalf of Standard Life, uh, and then made my way, um, you know, uh, uh, as quite a... a, a a key key individual, I would say, for for the, the the a link between all the different trading desks that we ran. So um, when we were bought out, uh, only the Canadian division was sold, and so um, we were being completely kind of decimated because essentially all they were doing was taking the assets. And uh, of course, we found out that they didn't need a trading desk because um, they would be trading out of Toronto. So Manulife had a, asset management already had an established desk out of Toronto. And they weren't looking to, to hire any more traders. So I was offered a position in Singapore, uh, which at the time didn't work based on my family situation. Uh, and I did have something lined up uh, in Boston to, to keep on with a, a group that I was working with at Standard Life. Uh, but then a position opened up uh, in terms of a job posting in Canada on, on, on the west coast of BC. So um, I said I hadn't interviewed in something like 12, 13 years. Thought it would be fun to just go out and, you know, <laughs> see how that process worked. Uh, they said they would fly my wife out here with me to, to take a look for the interview. So we came out here. I remember I had a whale watching trip booked in the afternoon. Uh, to say I wasn't taking it seriously, I think maybe it was a, an understatement. But in those kinds of situations, you tend not to be nervous at all going into any type of interview. Uh, interviewed in a shotgun style, I think in front of something like 10 to 10, 12 people. Uh, all senior uh, portfolio managers and investment professionals here at BCI. Uh, and uh, one thing led to another, and then they were making me an offer uh, to come work on the trading desk here. So um, we hummed and hawed and then uh, made a two-year plan with my family to say, we'll come out here. We've never been out West. This is the first time we were out West. We have no family, no friends, no nothing out here, but it's a beautiful place for sure. And so we came out here and uh, I started to work on the trading desk. Uh, with a group of three other traders uh, within not even nine months, I think uh, two uh, traders left. Uh, we were left with only two on the desk. Uh, and then all of a sudden I was put in a position where I was tasked to rebuild the entire trading desk. So um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty uh, daunting a task, uh, a good challenge for me for sure. Uh, but from a pension perspective and running a, a trading desk from a pension fund was very different uh, than running something for a mutual fund company. So um, what was key for me was hiring senior individuals. So I hired um, 
two uh, two traders with quite um, decent experience. One of them we poached from um, Lewis Capital out in London, um, who is actually a Victoria native. So that wasn't a hard sell to get him to come back here. Uh, and then I picked up another uh, trader with some good EM experience. Uh, and we poached him out of Prisima, uh, Montreal shop as well, and was able to get him to move out with his family to kind of rebate, uh, rebuild the base of the, the trading desk. Uh, and then the whole kind of firm kind of built out from there. And we've been expanding and growing in terms of a team, uh, both on the public market side and on the trading desk and built out more of a, a cross asset model that centralizes all the executions of all the equities and derivatives in a firm. Uh, and now we're, say we're four strong uh, with a few juniors kind of in the wings that we're training up um, all on a cross asset basis as we look to kind of optimize and facilitate a lot of the activity that's taking place in BCI. So it's a long story wow, short so of where, how I got to where I am today. Yeah, that's, <laughs> thank you. That's quite the, quite the eventful path. And so I noticed you, so you started out in sales, you moved on to trading. You know, a lot of people group, like sort of group those two together, even though they can be very different. So really quickly, like, could you just explain sort of in simple terms for those who don't know, like what, what those two, like those two roles entail, like sales and trading. And, you know, given that, that you've chosen to stay on that path for so long, like why, why have you chosen to stay in trading? Yeah. So um, uh, quickly on the, the, the sell side and, and sales trading and, and buy side trading, we'll call them, we'll split them into two. So um, sales trading or sell side trading is usually traders that are uh, working for a, a brokerage, a bank. Uh, an, an asset um, and not an asset gatherer, not an asset manager. Um, so their job is essentially to be either the middleman or the agent who is looking for business. Essentially, they get paid by, you know, printing stocks, taking orders, executing orders on clients behalf, rather than a buy side trader is the trader who works inside an asset manager or a mutual fund, a pension fund. Um, and who executes orders on behalf of a portfolio manager. So that's the big discrepancy between the two. A sell-side trader will always be trying to um, get more flow, pitch flow to get flow, uh, uh, tell people they're buyers of things, sellers of things based on the orders that they get from their clients and trying to find the other side of their trades rather than the, the buy-side traders are looking to execute based on what their portfolio managers are seeking to achieve in terms of their positioning. So just out of the bat, that's the, the quick differences between them. In terms of uh, staying on the path of, of being a trader, that wasn't always the plan. When I had moved to Standard Life Investments um, from the group savings side, the idea was um, I would follow what was deemed to be the regular path there, where you would start as a desk analyst, um, start trading eventually, and then um, as a position opened up for kind of a junior analyst role, uh, become a junior analyst to help on the actual portfolio management side. So this has been the path of, I think, the three previous desk analysts who had worked um, at the firm had all followed kind of the same path. Uh, and to be honest, when I started, I figured, well, if that's what everyone else seems to be doing, I guess I'm just going to go along that path. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as as I worked on the desk, first of all, when you work in trading, you don't you don't learn about trading in school. I didn't learn about trading at Concordia. There was no trading class. Uh, no one told us, you know, how do you trade? What makes a good trader? What makes a bad trader? So really, it's more of a that one type of job. I feel like in in our universe, where you you almost have to get exposure to it uh, and work yeah. with someone who's done it to ever figure out like 
wow, this is an actual career, but you, you can't really, I mean, you can, you can prepare for it. There's courses out there and stuff like that that teach you about the, you know, market structures of exchanges and how to put in an order and all these things, but to actually sit with a trader and watch them trade and see what they look at when they're looking at the markets, it's, it's a very exciting job uh, in the world of finance. So having every one of my days be different, uh, be exciting, being a part of everything. So it, it's one thing to be, uh, you know, an analyst, to read analyst reports, to analyze stocks, you know, do all the, the DCF models, et cetera. That's, you know, that's exciting, too, in a different kind of realm. But to be in in the markets and to be trading in the markets, you have to be, you know, uh, kind of aware of what's going on all the time everywhere in the world you know and we could talk about today and what's happening in china and things like that but it impacts everything that we do because we touch every type of portfolio within the firm and so because of that you feel like you're always kind of have a pulse on the market and so whether it's news geopolitical you know uh, name specific you name it there's there's an impact on how things move and how investors react and then how things trade in the marketplace so it was a very exciting kind of job to be in uh, and one of them was actually retiring one of the traders so kind of a spot opened up on the desk and i remember i had a conversation uh with one of the senior portfolio managers at the firm and she had asked me if you know what i wanted to do like within the firm and, and i reiterated the same oh i want to be an analyst uh, just like everybody else who came through the path. And she's like, well, did you ever think of just staying in this role and evolving in the role as a trader? She goes, I see a lot of potential in you and how you, you, know, you operate within the role. And I think you can grow into this and you can make a career out of it. And to be honest, until she had had that conversation with me, I didn't even think about it, right? So that really changed the way I thought. And from that point forward, I kind of invested more into that part of my career and say, you know what, I actually enjoy this quite a lot. I'm quite good at it. And the more I can learn and more I can develop, the more I can actually make a real career out of this. So that's what ended up keeping me on that path rather than going on the standard path, I guess, that most others tended to be on uh, when they got into like these firms and these more junior roles that tend to funnel a lot of people down the same path, it seems. Yeah, that's that's quite the experience. And I think you've mentioned a lot of great points and I just want to take that opportunity. I don't know if you had this, uh, Dennis, when you were at Concordia, but we have what's called the John Molson Trading League now, which happens every Monday night. And it's just sort of a simulation of uh, of a trading desk. I, I think it's sort of what you do like on the the buy side, like trader type of type of stuff. So to all the students, I, I invite you to go uh, and join the the Monday night sessions with, uh, with Charles-Antoine Germain, our, our director. And I was just wondering, then as you mentioned, kind of your progression, and I, I'd want to hear uh, the day-to-day -day of, let's say, a junior trader and maybe how that evolved as you became uh, head of the, the trading floor. Yeah, sure. Uh, so usually when you start on the desk as a junior trader, a lot of the stuff you do is kind of peripheral in nature. You're doing a lot of the um, reporting, uh, you know, reporting to start the day, reporting to end the day, some small support functions in terms of, you know, calculating cash positions for some portfolio managers, um, scraping uh, all the overnight news within Bloomberg to see what's happened for each individual portfolio. Uh, to highlight the important news that might be market moving or name moving, uh, summarizing all that, dumping it either into IB chats or emails, um, and then kind of 
during the day being more of a supportive role to the actual traders. So realizing when people are taking on all, a lot of trades, being able to mirror them in terms of watching orders, uh, monitoring limits that have been put on orders, things like this, uh, all the while kind of learning what kind of strategies that the, the more senior traders are implementing when they're executing orders. So there's obviously different ways to approach different order types. Uh, and, and in that more junior role, you're kind of figuring out what's deemed to be an easier type of order, things that you know, the trading desk will usually talk or categorize as what's called low touch, uh, and then working towards more complex types of trades and negotiations, which are, are deemed to be more um, called like high touch in our industry. So there's kind of a gambit of types of orders, and they, they range depending on order size, the liquidity of the stock you're trading. Sometimes it's the region, or sometimes it's just the, the, the context in which uh, multiple of parts of these orders are fitting together into a larger type of trade that might be taking place. So through observation, through experience is how you learn a lot of that. And then in watching how different traders will engage with different counterparties also plays a big part in it because trading is still a, a very um, kind of old school type of way to, to buy and sell things. There's still a huge portion of the business that it, there's negotiations involved and it's uh, about maintaining some sort of um, advantage in terms of the information you have and the information that maybe the other counterparties who you're dealing with has. So understanding what the fair value or what you view to be the fair value of a security that you're trading is always key and letting that kind of drive your decision-making process as you go. And so only through really through experience, watching other people trade in specific markets. And I'll admit in some markets that we're trading, you know, and I'll speak to some of the frontier stuff that we're maybe doing right now, which I have never traded in. I'm very much more junior in terms of being a trader in that region, only because I have almost no experience trading in these types of markets. So while I may be experienced trading and developed in some emerging markets, when you enter into a whole new space, how they trade and who you deal with and how people engage can be a totally different ballgame than what you've been used to. So while you can apply certain principles the same way, it can feel like a brand new market and you can feel very junior, very quick, just based on how, how the market is kind of engaging with you and how uh, you know a, a pension fund or an institution would engage with that market and the local brokers, et cetera. So I, I think the gambit as you go, more experience as you learn and trading is always evolving in terms of... Uh, an actual career, exchanges are, are being developed, different ways of trading are being developed, alternate trading venues uh, beyond exchanges are being developed. And it's keeping up with all of those and seeing how you can progress and ensure that, you know, what you're doing is always in the best interest of your clients uh, and that you're always staying up to date with all the newest and best developments in terms of being able to exchange securities from one, one asset holder to another. Right. Like I can imagine the integration of uh, the gem portfolio, the emerging markets portfolio at BCI must have been pretty interesting on your side. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was very I mean, we, we trade emerging markets anyways, uh, because we did have a large uh, index portfolio here. So we had had experience trading there. But it's true. It's the types of orders that you're dealing with. Right. So when they come in and I'm trading only, you know, two names in Brazil and they're uh, not very liquid. And it could, you know, take me up to 30 days to buy them. Uh, I need to understand that in Brazil, uh, if I trade uh, in succession over a 30-day period, over a certain percentage of the average daily volume, 
I risk having all my previous trades canceled and then uh, all my shares going into some sort of weird auction that I was not aware of, you know? So these different market dynamics that exist in the actual, how the exchanges are being run and how you trade in those markets, you have to be aware of all those little intricacies across the world. And again, only the order type sometimes will define that these kinds of circumstances apply to what you're doing. Right. So I have a question that was, you, you've progressed very consistently through your career and now looking at where you are now, you're, you know, you're very well at the top, right? So for, for more, for a more junior uh, trader or someone who's just starting out the career, like what, like what advice would you have for them? I mean, for me, it's always been about hard work. Uh, don't, don't, don't ever think that um, any type of work and any type of job is beneath you. You know, like I know we, we come out of school, um, you know, we may be top of our class uh, and we think that we're kind of owed, you know what I mean? A shot at, at, at a, a good position, a good pay, a good this. Good. I mean, understanding things end to end, starting uh, at the bottom and working hard to, to, to make your way up. I think it, it, it's key. You can't. You can't ever look down at any type of work that's being asked of you. Uh, and I'll always say, just always work harder than the person who's sitting next to you. This is, it's something that I've, I've always kind of instilled, I instilled in my kids. I always say the same thing. It's, there's no substitute for hard work at all. And so come in, do the best you can. And then the next day you try and do better. And, and that, that kind of mentality in this industry, you know, I have, my, my whole team is kind of built the same way. Some of them may not be the smartest people. They may not have all the, you know, the credentials in terms of degrees, et cetera, and certifications, but they put in the work, you know, and they work very hard at what they do and try to understand everything that we do. So uh, really, I think it's it's really having that strong work, work ethic, you know, and it's, I understand there's work smart and, and you know what I mean? It's not about the time that you put in, but it, it, sometimes in this industry, you you have to put in time and you have to put in the work and you have to put in the effort uh, and understanding the, that that hard work will get rewarded in this industry for sure. Yeah, I think uh, hard work definitely pays off. I think that's the lesson we got to remember. And maybe before we close it off, uh, Dennis, do you have any books, podcasts or resources online that you've used or that you've seen is, is trendy these days to, to become a, a junior trader? I haven't seen much about trading at all, uh, except for um, the, the, you know, the Flash Boys books and, and things like that. I mean, which kind of give you a, a, an idea of what, you know, some people were doing at a certain point in time in terms of high frequency trading and accesses to exchanges. Um, the Traders Training Course through the CSI is a great, uh, great introductory course to trading. Um, it kind of, I think it, it also you can use it as a substitute for some of the, the CMT level one type of stuff uh, that you would do. So uh, market technicians course that you can get to, to kind of help you read charts, but understanding, I find that what you get out of that, that kind of book is you'll understand at least the basic framework of how markets work. And this one's specific to Canada, but how you understand how Canadian markets work, but then you'll also get a taste for how things are linked together. Right. And so these are the things that you learn as a trader Things like when the U.S. dollar is rallying, um, you'll most likely see commodities get hit and, and like the linkages between different um, aspects of the market that you should be able to, as a trader, develop quite quickly in terms of 
when you see something moving, you should expect this to be moving and you should expect this to be happening. And so these are kind of constants that exist. And I would say only through kind of that, yeah, that kind of training book or things like that, that talks about that stuff is super helpful. I also, obviously I did, um, I've done my CMT. So there's a lot of technical analysis books that are out there mm-hmm. that I find are super helpful. Um, it's a little bit more like behavioral finance, if you think about it, right? Because yeah. um, it's reading charts, using different types of indicators to kind of confirm different types of patterns and moves that you'll be seeing. Um, but as a trader, I found those types of uh, books, textbooks and stuff like that, super helpful in terms of kind of judging um, what I should be doing from an intraday basis to things that I'm looking at on a longer term basis. So you can have shorter term discussions, longer term discussions, and at least you're coming from a place of a little bit more knowledge than gut feelings. And, you know, uh, I've seen this before kind of thing. Right. Well, that's, we, we couldn't thank you enough for all the insight that you provided, you know, obviously being the position you are, a lot of students stand to to benefit from hearing, uh, hearing about your experience and all your advice. So, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, We really appreciate it. Perfect. No, happy to be here. And like I said, if anyone has the time, Take the time, go to that Monday uh, evening uh, yeah. Traders yeah. League. I, I know I didn't have that when I was at Concordia and it, it would have made a, a whole world of difference to understand uh, how the actual markets function. It's one thing to know how, how to price a stock. It's a whole other thing to know how you're going to go and buy and sell that stock in the market. So to see it live or to get any kind of insight into the actual trading world before you get out there, uh, I think it's super key. Yeah, definitely. So students make sure to utilize the tools that that we have to offer, well, the, what the school has to offer. And once again, Dennis, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the podcast and uh, hopefully you have a, a nice day. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Bye.